This is episode number 193, How to Change Your Life with Derek Loudermilk. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. And 193 episodes. I'm pretty excited about that. That's a lot of time and hours that I have had the privilege to spend interviewing some of the world's top experts. I've learned a lot. I hope you guys have too. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. The whole point of us being alive is for our souls to grow and evolve and understand different parts of experience. And so if you look at it that way, experiencing discomfort, experiencing unknowing is really valuable in the bigger sense because it allows you to have compassion and humbleness and all of these things, which are ultimately like the big, big picture. If you're learning what it is to be human, what it is to move through this life, then those challenging times are ultimately for the greatest benefit of you. Whether you've been a longtime listener or this is your first episode, we're stoked that you're here. And we'd also love to hear your feedback and get a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews make a really big difference. They only take a couple of seconds and they help other people find this podcast. I hope you guys have some fun things that you're looking forward to doing this summer. I certainly am excited to get back into the mountains. If you want to see what I'm up to, make sure you are subscribed to my free weekly newsletter that comes out every Friday. You can sign up at sanyaluni.com slash newsletter. And on that newsletter, I send out my podcast, any new posts or articles that I've either written or come across, and any fun giveaways that I'm doing with my sponsors. So go to sanyaluni.com slash newsletter. You'll also get a free copy of my ebook, Partly Sunny, Cultivating a Resilient Mind. And it's basically a Cliff Notes version of my resilient handbook. And speaking of resilience and all things motivating, let's talk about our guest today, Derek Loudermilk. Derek Loudermilk might be one of the most interesting people that you've ever met. He's discovered a new species of virus while in graduate school. He's traveled the world as a professional cyclist. He became an entrepreneur and a digital nomad, including doing this with a wife and child under the age of three. He created his own path as an author, podcaster, speaker, coach, and guide to help people start living the life they imagined. How did this all really start? It started with a blood clot in his brain, and he was only given a 25% chance of living. In his quest to understand the future of entrepreneurship around the world, Derek has traveled to every U.S. state, 40 countries, and lived on four continents. He's also the author of his book called Superconductors. We talked about a wide range of topics in this podcast, but I think that you'll get a ton of value out of it. We talked about the power of community, his journey to living around the world and becoming an entrepreneur, falling in love with adventure at Yellowstone, how to remove barriers and make changes, where confidence comes from, how to actually become a digital nomad and some resources there, the law of attraction and how to tap into your intuition, finding your identity through transformation, the importance of gratitude for shifting negative thoughts, and so much more. This episode will make you think and it might even help you move in a direction that you've always wanted to go. 
Before we get into it, I want to say thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. Your donations make a huge, huge difference to keeping this show going. And it's been almost three years of doing this podcast weekly and sometimes twice a week. I wouldn't have been able to do it without my team and without your contributions and without investing my own money as well. And it's worth every penny. So thank you guys. And if you want to contribute, you can go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts and you'll see a banner for Patreon or you'll see a banner for PayPal or you can go to patreon.com slash the Sonya show. So thank you so much, guys. I really couldn't do this without you. All right. So let's get into today's episode with Derek Loudermilk. Derek, welcome to the show. Sonia, thanks for having me. It's great to catch up with you. I know. It's been so long. Like the last time I saw you, we were both living in Boulder. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was actually, I was thinking about how we first met and I was, we were on the bus to the airport. We were probably both going to a bike race or something. And I heard you talking about your racing and I was like, oh, I should probably talk to her. And that, yeah. And then that's, it, it's funny because you can recognize boulder types when you're in Denver. <laughs> For, uh, when you're at Denver Airport, you're like, oh, yeah. they must be they must be from Boulder. <laughs> yeah, and then they get off the bus and then they have their bike. And yeah, th- that was awesome. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of miss living in a community like that. And I didn't realize, and, and you've been to a lot of places, but the community of, of the Denver area, I feel is a special one. Like, I feel like people are really friendly there and as I've kind of traveled around, people are friendly, but it's not like it's, it's not like it was when I was there. I don't know if you've had that experience or not. Well, it's community is when you don't have it, it's so noticeable. And when you do have it, it just feels like living. So moving from place to place, I've noticed, and and partly it's, you know, how much I invest in building a community. If you, if you move to a new country and you're going to spend a few months there, you kind of invest on the front end and making some friends. And when you don't do that, it's very glaring. And when you do, you're just like, oh, this is great. You know, this is normal. And it's uh, obviously we're a social species, but it's it's really when you have a good one, it's, it's, it's makes you just everything better. Yeah, for sure. And something that um, has really stuck with me is I've talked about the Blue Zones books on this podcast a lot. But one of the key factors for longevity and for happiness is having a strong sense of community. And for me, it's it's actually been hard in Kelowna. Like I, I'll make good friends and then they move away and it's happened like five or six times. So I'll like find myself getting a foot in a community and then it just vanishes underneath me and then traveling a lot and having like your home base makes it hard to have community. So yeah, I actually really admire people who have a really great group um, where they live. You know, my grandparents are in their 90s now and they've been going to the same church in the same small town in the Appalachian Mountains for decades. And, you know, the evidence shows if you've got the community and if you're going to church and like the collective prayer thing makes you live a lot longer too. And so they've been expecting to die for like 30 years and they just keep going because they keep doing all the things that make you live long. (laughs) Yeah. And that's great. They have each other too. Yeah. Yeah. It's super. I mean, even these little things, you know, and now that I'm married, splitting the duties is when you're single and you just like take care of everything yourself and you, you don't notice because that's the routine of it. But when someone's taking care of half of the things, like if someone's doing the laundry and the other person's doing the cooking, you're like, wow, this is so luxurious Yeah, <laughs> to have someone doing something for me. <laughs> that's so true. So I want to talk about kind of 
how you got to where you are today because the last time I saw you we were both like both of our lives have changed a lot but we were both just like bike racers and it was many years ago and I saw this Facebook post from you recently and it was a really long post and I read it and I thought wow like he's been through a lot in his life and he's doing so many rad things so how did you get from being a bike racer to all the things that we're about to talk about like can you talk about that journey sure so I left Boulder to go back to grad school in Bozeman Montana and I was already on the sort of adventure track I was like how can I be a scientist but also an adventurer and so I figured I'd study in Yellowstone National Park and I was looking for extremophiles which are microbes that live in the hot springs. And I ended up discovering a new species while I was in grad school there, a new species of virus that lives in boiling acid. And that was super cool. And the the best part of it was the field work going out into the park, you know, snowshoeing in or snowmobiling in, you know, through herds of bison and, you know, walking across the, you know, the places where the tourists don't get to go and and stuff like that. So I really loved spending all that time in the park. And I also found that I really loved teaching. I was teaching undergrad microbiology. But the main part of my work was in a laboratory, doing the same thing over and over again, spending the night in a dark microscope room. And that really, it just I just didn't wasn't really suited to that. And the, you know, the reason I was going back to grad school in the first place was I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm fairly good at science. I should just be a scientist. I should be a professor. So I had this, this script running from an early age that that's why I was going to be an academic scientist. So I was trying to fit in my other values and my other interests into that, but just wasn't quite working. So I ended up dropping out of my PhD program. And about that time, I discovered the world of entrepreneurship, which, as I saw it, was solving cool problems. And I read the four-hour work week back in back when it came out in 08 or something like that. And um, you know, I thought, wow, if I can start a business that's generating $1,000 a month, and I knew the cost of living in somewhere like Vietnam was about $1,000 a month. So what I did, my first business was coaching racing cyclists. I was coaching collegiate cyclists that I had met through being on the collegiate team up there, and uh, some of these younger national-level cyclocross riders that were based in Montana. And so I had basically four clients, and they're each paying me $250 a month, which there's your 1000 bucks, which basically gives you an infinite runway to, you know, your cost of living and your income are the same. So you can work on skill development, you can work on growing a business, and you have this sort of infinite runway where you can not feel the pressure that you have to earn, you have to go do something for money right away. And so that's kind of how I started. That was about six or seven years ago. And that's basically been traveling and starting businesses since then. And how have you come up with the idea of all the other projects that you've done? Like you've written, actually you've written multiple books, speaking, coaching, your podcast. Like there's a lot of different things that have evolved out of that. So how did you transition or know what direction that you wanted to go? Yeah. And, and looking back, it's largely I'm responding to a market that I see where people are asking for something. You, They're asking... You know, I started a podcast. One of my early online friends, Lewis Howes, had just started his podcast, which is now pretty big and famous, uh, School of Greatness. And I was like, oh, he's doing well with that. I'm just going to copy that. And I started, actually, before I even had the podcast, I was interviewing. I wanted to write a book called, and you'll appreciate this, How to Be a Pro Cyclist. And I was just <laughs> going to interview all the pro cyclists that I knew and figure out, you know, how they got 
their careers going. I thought, okay, this will, there's a very small niche of people that would, but be really beneficial for these small handful of kids that want to be pro cyclists. So that was the kind of where I got the first taste of interviewing people, which was really fun for me. So then I started the podcast and then everything after that, the, the coaching, the, the business coaching that I do started as people asking me, I want to do a podcast. How do you do a podcast? So I would do these podcast boot camps where we would say, you know, five weeks to start a podcast and we'd all meet in my villa and sort of practice our craft and things like that. And, you know, another thing that I do is I publish these books called Activate Your Life and it's a collection of coaching exercises. So a lot of my friends are business coaches, life coaches, spiritual coaches, you know, variety of different coaches. And they have really great exercises that they use to train their clients. And I wanted to get those exercises out into the world. And they were asking me, like, tell me what you know about the publishing industry. Like, how can I, how can I write a book? So basically, I just decided, I'm just going to put a book together for all my friends so that they can, <laughs> so they can become authors and show them that it's not, not this hard or mysterious thing that which it feels like before you do it. And so really, this pattern of, you know, I just sense a need, people are asking me for help about the same things over and over again, and or something that I'm really into. And then, and then we figure out a business and then we try to try to like link them all together. So they're all different pillars of the same, you know, I'm the central brand of the personal brand that does these things. And they're all sort of connected pillars of the same personal brand. Yeah, I love that. And that's exactly what I've done as well. <laughs> it's funny, like I dropped out of a PhD program because I realized I didn't want to work in a lab <laughs> and I wanted to travel as a pro mountain biker. But I also had all these other things that kept coming up because people were asking for it. And yeah, it's so funny how whenever you listen to these things, how you can form businesses out of it. But it's it's not as easy as it sounds like it is easy for us. But some people have reservations around that. They say, well, I have this comfortable path that is laid out for me or I've already invested all this time in school. So, or I've already like gotten my degree and I've worked a certain number of years, so I, I can't make a change. Or they say, well, I'm not an author or I haven't done much writing, so I can't write a book or I can't be a speaker. So how do you remove these barriers for people who, because you and I have done, have basically said, I'm just going to do that and you just do it. So how do you remove those barriers for people? Well, there was definitely some things that, you know, so I'm not sure if this was the post you were talking about, but I ended up getting married for a brief amount of time. Previously, we were married, I don't know, a year or something, uh, but I really didn't want to. I was just kind of doing it to be nice. I also, I liked my girlfriend enough that I wanted to stay with her. She really wanted to get married. And so I ended up, you know, just like going along with all of these things. And I think that happens to a lot of people where there's a lot of good things about their situation or they're invested or it's comfortable and you just sort of go along with this script that's playing out for you, which is fine if you know you're going to live forever. The thing is, when I got this, uh, this I had a blood clot in my brain and they said, oh, you, you know, you got a 75% chance of dying. And obviously I'm still here, but it really sort of forced me to consider my own mortality. And when you know that you are going to die, it's sort of, there's this concept uh, that the Stoic philosophers like Marcus Aurelius used to operate with, which is memento mori, you know, just consider your own mortality. And that forces you to make decisions. It forces you to say, like, do I really want this in my life? 
knowing that I could die tomorrow, you know, is this the direction? Am I satisfied right now with how my life is? You know, how do I want to feel? What do I really want? And then it and then it becomes a process of continuing to actively decide to do the things you want, to feel the way you want to feel, to to be around the people you want. And it's and it's hard because it is uncomfortable. But if you never get out of your comfort zone, you never get out of your comfort zone. And so you'll just continue on one of these scripts that's running in the background. You know, your unconscious mind is just running running for you and your habits and all these things. So you just sort of have to take this, take a conscious look at your life and create the outcomes that you want. And part of that is asking, you know, how do I want to feel? What do I want to be doing? I also want to make sure that I'm not going to regret anything, which also forces you to take chances. So those are some some perhaps helpful ways to to start looking at it. Yeah, and I think that there's also a level of confidence that you get from doing this repeatedly. For you, like where has confidence come from and how have you been able to become even more confident in yourself and in your abilities? Yeah, and I started noticing uh, as I was interviewing folks for my show, which is The Art of Adventure, these adventurers, in particular, these explorers that were setting world records, polar explorers, mountaineers and things, they're some of the most confident people I encountered. And they're they're confident in a bunch of different ways. They're confident in their ability to show up and do their best. They're confident in their their body's ability to physically, you know, have energy. They're confident in their ability to connect with people and make friends and collaborate around goals. You know, they're confident in their ability to learn a skill that they need to learn and be resourceful. And so there's like all these different elements that are building this this sort of unshakable confidence. And so once I started deconstructing, why, why do I think they're so confident? Then I started forcing myself to go out and do these things, like get better at building relationships with people, get better at learning things more quickly and get better at trying to master the skills that I already have. You know, just just actually trying to train the pieces of confidence by going on, you know, and if it's a, if it's a new physical challenge, um, that's going to really help, you know, climbing, climbing a volcano or something like that. Um, so I'm constantly like giving myself these little, these little challenges is like a fun little game to get a little bit outside my current comfort zone so that I can sort of build this base of confidence. Yeah. And it sounds like all those things that these people who are adventurers focus on are things that they can control. Like those are all controllables. And I think whenever people start thinking about all the things that you can't control, that's when you start losing confidence because there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And, you know, control, ultimately, we we would like to think that we can control something, but ultimately there is there is no control. You know, you can do things like direct your thoughts and pay attention to the certain things, but control of anything really in life is an illusion. So it's much more straightforward to totally give up needing control. Yeah, that's something that I've been learning <laughs> lately. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so how did you go from living in Vietnam, making a thousand bucks a month? Like, how did you get to where, like, where you are? When did you decide to leave? When did you decide that you wanted to travel more and go to 40 countries? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Southeast Asia is great because there's a bunch of countries and they're all... There's uh, the digital nomad circuit... And there's this whole community of people. I don't know how many there are. When I first started, there was probably 30,000 people globally. And now there's probably half a million digital nomads, I'm guessing. But there's some hotspots. There's Bangkok and Chiang Mai and Bali 
and Singapore and Saigon and all these places where they have this great blend of you know good internet, good amenities, English speaking, friendly, not too expensive. So you get a lot of these people traveling, you know, spending a few months of time and, and going from city to city there. And that's kind of what I was doing until I met my wife, uh, my current wife, Heidi, and we got pregnant fairly quickly. And that was totally unexpected. And then all of a sudden, uh, instead of traveling solo, I was traveling with a wife and kids, which can be done fairly similarly. And of course, you know, when you're dealing with trying to travel in a group of people, it's just there's also a lot more things to consider. So half of that time was traveling solo and half of that time was traveling with a growing family. Did you meet her? Or was she also a digital nomad? She was not. She was living in, we, we met in Bali. We were, this is so funny. We were part of the same, this tiny little town of expats. There's about 800 people there. So it's like a small high school community feel. Everybody knows everybody as far as the foreigners. And we had maybe a hundred friends in common, but we never met each other for more than a year until, and, and, and we both have talked about this. I was getting over my divorce. She was getting over her previous relationship. We were doing all this self healing and, and, you know, really working on making ourselves someone who could be in a relationship. And we both must have hit that at the exact same time because our relationship just, we came together and became partners really, really quick. So, you know, we must have sort of attracted each other. We were both ready at the same time. They call Bali the island of the gods because this stuff happens all the time. Half the people that go there get divorced because it's not the right fit and they meet their partner and, you know, they're long-term, the one person. And, uh, you know, so the, so the island itself, they say, has has powers to be able to do that for people. I can't remember the question that you asked anymore. Oh, it was if she was a, <laughs> if, if she was a digital nomad too when you guys met. So she was just working there as a yoga teacher and a holistic health practitioner at this s- sort of famous yoga center called the Yoga Barn. And that's that's where some of the yoga influencers are based and uh, she, that's where she was working. Just happened to happened to get an invite to be part of their staff and and work there. So she was like one of the few who who weren't digital nomads. <laughs> and how do you decide to go like where to go next? Because if you're moving around, being nomadic, and you have now you have a wife and a little kid, how do you decide? Okay, it's time to pick up and, and move. We're always you know asking other travelers for that. You know, is there good? travel-friendly, family-friendly city that we should check out. There's also this, at least there was, I haven't looked at it in a while, a website called Nomad List, which is super cool. And it would rank cities in terms of those parameters I was talking about, like the climate and the cost of living and the ease of getting around and all these things. And it would give you a ranking. And these things, how's the nightlife? How accepting is the local population? How good, you know, English-speaking availability, all these things. And so you could kind of go and pick like, okay, I want somewhere where the cost of living for a family is $2,000 a month. So that's going to exclude your Londons and New Yorks and places like that. And and then we would come up with these, like, here, here's a few places we could go. So last time we were choosing between Portugal, Ireland, South Africa, and Romania. And we ended up going to Portugal, partly because I was going to have friends there at the same time. I had a friend who offered us a house. They had an Airbnb investment property there that 
they let us rent for you know a little bit less than the normal standard cost. But when you start putting it out there, like we're looking for a new place to go, then you start getting answers. You start you can start getting the intuition, which you know eventually tells you like Portugal's the place. Yeah, and I've heard you talk about law of attraction a little bit. Is this the same thing, or how else do you use law of attraction? Law of attraction is is something that um, I've studied a bunch in the last year, and it's 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 really fun. And uh, you know, people are you're, everybody's using the law of attraction. The things in your life are coming to you because you're holding the desire for them. And this is also for the things that you don't want. If you're thinking about, you know, unfortunately, if you're thinking about like, oh no, I don't have this thing. Like it's money or a relationship or whatever, and you keep focusing your attention on that. Like, unfortunately, you keep reattracting more of the same. I think there's also when you can decide a direction, you know, if you're looking at a place to live or, or something like that, you're going to start getting these clues. People are going to start offering you houses or you're going to find it. Like I said, a bunch of friends are going to be there at the same time or that flights are really cheap there. And you're going to start getting all these things that make it really easy for you to go to the place that's going to be good for you. And so when you start to determine a direction for yourself, then the universe is conspiring to help you. And there's there's going to be a lot of signs that will affirm or deny your decision if you slow down a little bit and start to pay attention to them. And this is what ancient cultures did. This is, you know, Native Americans had animal signs. People all over the world know how to to read these things, whether it's like tarot or reading the clouds or tea leaves or, you know, whatever it is, but they're they're able to answer the questions for themselves by understanding like the signs that the universe is presenting to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think that this is an interesting topic because learning how to trust your intuition is not as easy for some people. And then there's also the other side of things where, and this, I guess, I guess this could be positive or negative, but where people are using their confirmation bias. And those are different things, being intuitive and, and using your confirmation bias. Yeah, and I, I don't know if, I mean, it sounds kind of like we're saying like confirmation bias may be a negative thing, but you know, maybe it's not. What's actually coming up in my head is this uh, this practice that I use, which might be helpful for people to tap into their intuition. And it's called sidewalk tarot. And you basically, you just go for a walk and you start with a question in your mind, like a decision that you're trying to make or you want to understand something, you know, some sort of guidance about what, what you're supposed to know in your life right now. And you just, so you, you, so you just frame a question and then you just look around for a sign. And the, th the cool thing here is, right, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be anything in particular because you're going to interpret it the way that you need to. So a friend of mine, I was telling him about it and he, it's funny because his sign was actually a sign. It was an old rusty gas station sign the gas it was like a defunct gas station but the sign it was he was like really impressed with it and it was an advertisement for dependable champion tires and he was sort of the question he was asking was like who am i going to be like in this next phase of life and dependable champion he's like that's me that's what, that's who i have to show up as and so he actually like the sign was a physical sign but it could be anything and he took that Right. And he said, OK, who who is a dependable champion? What is you know, what does it look like to be that person 
what are their habits, how do they think, what are the traits? And he's created this persona for himself based on this sign that he just found while walking. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I, I think that goes back to being open to new things as well, because it's just easy to get so bogged down in what you're doing and feeling like you're trapped and feeling like you can't take those few steps or that you're an imposter saying, oh, I, I can't call myself that. Yeah. And there's your future reality and there's your current reality. And we all think there must be some sort of long process to transition from life as it is for me right now and this reality that maybe I'm allowing myself to imagine. Like, what if I lived in a mansion? You know, what if I met the partner of my dreams? All these things. And it, it doesn't have to take any time at all for things to happen for you. And so there's this transition phase, which could be instantaneous or it could be years or it could be months or weeks or, or whatever it is. But knowing that re a future reality, a desired reality can become like the what you see in your life, you know, around you surrounded by cars or money or fun people or whatever it is you actually want to have in your life. That can happen really, really quickly. And a lot of times people get stuck with, they look at their current reality and they believe, you know, this is the way it is, or it has to be a long process to get from here to there. But as soon as you start being the person, and this is actually interesting because we were just talking about the dependable champion, as soon as you start being the person who has those things, has the amazing group of friends or the the marriage or the million dollars or whatever it is. So the question is, how would I be if I already had what I want? And then you just go ahead and, and just be that. And then the your surroundings start to fall into place. The material world, the evidence that you're looking at with your senses starts to fall in line with your identity. Yeah, so you're you're transforming your identity by having these experiences. And I, I've actually heard this with goal setting as well, like you're supposed to write stuff down as if it already happened so that you can become that person. Well, the thing is your brain can't tell the difference between imagination and reality. And so this, you know, living and being and visualizing and all this stuff is actually you know, your your brain is just looking at the inputs that it's getting. And so if it's interpreting, you know, the based on your five senses, oh, I look at my bank account, I don't have money. And if you really believe what your senses are telling you, then that's what's going to perpetuate itself. But we know the brain, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's made up or, you know, quote unquote, r reality. So all you have to do is live, live from the place where you're trying to go which is feels backwards until you actually try it and see that it. So, so here's an example, you l being a bike racer, expecting to do well in races and, and have your fitness grow and, and all this stuff from training is actually coming from a place of, you know, the identity of a good bike racer. Yeah. There's, there's a great book that I like called atomic habits by James clear. And he actually talks about identity for habit change. And if you want to be like, somebody who is a writer. Well, what are the habits of a writer that, that identity? It's somebody that writes regularly, or I want to be a healthy fit person. Well, what would somebody who's healthy and fit do and do that every day? Or like the bike racer example, what is someone who is a, a you know, I want to be a top level bike racer. Well, what did they do every day? And you just start molding yourself into that identity by like creating daily habits. 
Yeah. And this is, you know, the, the identity is the foundation and the habits give you the results. If you look around everything that you've achieved in life is a result of your habits, how you're showing up consistently, whether you have a lot of money or don't have a lot of money, whether you have an amazing relationship or don't, all these things are largely habit driven. So it can be a great step for, yeah, to work backwards and build those habits as a foundation. I think sometimes it's hard. I've experienced this a little bit and I've definitely spoken with people in my community who have done this is they think I want to think a certain way, but they can't stop thinking about the bad thing that they're trying not to think about. So like they keep telling themselves, I got to think, you know, I got to think that I'm going to, I don't know, we'll use the bank account example that my, that that number of my bank account is going to be going up and the work that I'm doing is going to pay me well. But then they, they have the fear and then they, they can't stop thinking about the opposite of the money going down in their bank account or not having any more opportunities come their way. And it can be hard because people get stuck obsessing over the bad things that could happen. And it's, it's harder to switch sometimes to really focusing on the good things that could happen instead. Yeah. And there's, there's this one simple thing that's super powerful and that is being able to shift your attention. So if you notice that you're thinking about the fact that you're broke, you need to be able to shift your attention to anything else. One of the best things is to make a list of things that you're grateful for because that shifts you into a place where you want to be, you know, if you're rich, you'd be like, oh, I feel so great. You know, I'm so grateful that like I've had this good luck in my life to be rich. So that's why gratitude works so well is not necessarily because it manifests anything in particular, but it's a super, it's a, it's a great generalized place to shift your attention. And so part of this is awareness of habitual thoughts. If you, and, and you may not necessarily know all of your habitual thoughts, but if you take a moment of silence and you just pay attention, do, does my brain keep going back to the fact that my bank account is empty? Then, and, and, and then so every time you notice that happening, you can just move your attention elsewhere, you know, acknowledge, okay, I see that I'm back to thinking about this thought. And now I can focus on anything else that I want. And gratitude is a great place to start. And gratitude can be like a general gratitude. Or one thing that I really like to do is pick a very specific thing, like a meal, or even, you know, like a computer or something that's sitting in front of you, and just appreciate it in a myriad of different ways. Like I can appreciate my laptop's design. I can appreciate how well it works. I can appreciate the feel of it. You know, you can you can appreciate it on different levels and just be like, wow, like so many pieces of technology came together to have this, you know, functional piece of thing on my desk. And it's it's really about, you know, as soon as you break that cycle of continuing to think these habitual thoughts, right? And that, that are causing the law of attraction to bring you more of the same thing. Then you get to sort of this place where you're neutral and a, a neutral place is way, way better than attracting the stuff that you don't want. And, and it, as soon as you get to that neutral place or a positive place from gratitude, stuff just starts flowing into your life super, super fast. And that, that that's very encouraging to just keep doing more, more things <laughs> like, like being grateful. 
Yeah, and I think that momentum could be another word to describe when things start flowing in. And we've all experienced like times of momentum where it just seems like, oh, like everything just seems to be going really well and all these new things that are amazing keep happening. And then we also experience times where the momentum seems to stop and then everything just feels so much harder. And that change of energy can feel so much harder. So I, I love that you talked about like, basically it's a mindfulness practice. If you, if you stop and focus on something that is happening right now, that is tangible or, or that you can think about in this moment that has nothing to do with the future or the past and just appreciating something that definitely has helped me and the changing of like, I've had a lot of anxiety and uncertainty, you know, being a, a pregnant professional cyclist <laughs> and, you know, people still, you know, in 2020 months into 2020 still hadn't signed contracts and string you along and things like that. And it's really easy to be wake up in the middle of the night and be focused on, Oh, like what, what are they doing? Why haven't I heard back? Like what's going to happen? So what I've done is instead I try and change like, well, what's it going to be like when I have this baby and like, what's the baby going to be like? And, and like try and like, instead of focusing on the things that could be negative or could be scary or could lead to outcomes I'm afraid of, try and focus on things that are going to be awesome and that I can be really excited about and that aren't going to, you know, make me feel like I'm contracted instead of expanding. Yeah, I love that. And it's, you know, it's totally real, right? Because because it's like, oh, it feels out of control when people aren't signing your contracts or when you don't necessarily know what the future is going to hold. And one place to keep coming back to is that probably for everybody listening, life has worked out. You know, some people life, you know, they, they end up dying early or something like that. But for everybody else, like we're still here. Everything, all the problems that we've had have you know, many of them, we've just moved on. They're no longer a problem or fights that we've had with people resolve themselves or we're not talking to them or whatever. So, so we just keep, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine in the big, 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 big picture anyway. So coming from that place, you can be peaceful knowing that things are going to work out and, and coming from a place of being at peace allows you to feel that expansiveness and then start choosing, yeah, what's, what's going to be exciting about this baby or what are the possibilities if certain sponsors don't don't renew like maybe it opens the door for something else you know operating from this place of knowing that it's all going to be okay is a really powerful place to be yeah i think we're often really afraid of the worst case scenario happening like we think and i i often think well what's the worst thing that could possibly happen and you know whenever you get to the point like where you were at probably with your blood clot like oh I, like i could die like that could be really bad thing, but you also were able to turn that into a really positive thing to start living the life that you wanted to live. But also there could be like temporary times of discomfort. Like, yeah, there in times of great growth and change in our lives, it often doesn't feel good. It often feels like you're stuck or you don't know where to go next. And for me, I've learned how to trust that because I've had that happen enough times where whenever I feel just like, oh, I don't know what's happening to try and appreciate that because that is going to be a moment of, of metamorphosis and growth. But it's hard in the moment because it doesn't feel good. But you if you can think really big picture, you know that this is a great opportunity. This will turn into something, but you don't have to know what that something is yet. Yeah. And I, I have a philosophy that the whole point of us being alive is for our souls to grow and evolve and understand different parts of experience. And so if you look at it that way, 
experiencing discomfort, experiencing unknowing is really valuable in the bigger sense because it allows you to have compassion and humbleness and all of these things, which are ultimately like the big, big picture. If you're learning what it is to be human, what it is to move through this life, then those challenging times are ultimately for the greatest benefit of you. And so you can be happy about that too. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about your coaching. I saw on your website, two different types of coaching and the heroic, mm-hmm. the heroic coaching I thought was really interesting because you have six different elements to that. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Cause I, I think people will actually really benefit from that. Yeah. You know, the heroic coaching comes from the hero's journey which was defined by Joseph Campbell, but before that it was Carl Jung who started seeing these archetypes showing up in people's dreams and these different figures like the wise mentor or the, the or the enemy or you know the siren or all, you know all these things and that's actually people's path to becoming a hero is this cycle of development it's like a spiral of personal development as we go through our lives and what i've determined is that they're the only ones doing what they're doing or they're they're really pushing the limits at the cutting edge you know they're adventurers or thought leaders or entrepreneurs or CEOs and they're sort of inventing a whole new business a lifestyle all of these things and so we apply this hero's journey process of leadership development and there's a lot of underlying skills and abilities and traits and habits and all these things that support that cycle of development whether it's you know learning to manage your energy, learning to manage your thoughts, understanding psychology, understanding spirituality, and we're you know we're picking and choosing like what are the skills that are going to most be most powerful for you to acquire and master, and you know some of those are specific to the industry that somebody's in. So if you're going to be on TV, for example, you need to be really good at you know being charismatic, getting the right opportunities. You're going to be need good at uh, impromptu speaking and storytelling and, you know, some of these key skills. But there's also the underlying traits that you're going to want to cultivate. So so we we look at mastery in a bunch of different areas in support of this evolution as a person, this evolution as a leader in your particular area that you've chosen for yourself. Yeah. And you, you mentioned some things that are a little bit like mystical <laughs> and this was something I wanted to ask you earlier, but with all the time that you've spent out East away from Western civilization, something that I've enjoyed myself whenever I've gone to Asia and some of these places is these metaphysical stories and sacredness and, and things like that. How can people feel less cynical about those things and try to embrace them and and get wisdom from them? Because I'm sure that there was a time where you had to make a shift and be like, oh, maybe I do believe in some of this stuff or there, there is some value here. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, my training as a scientist and growing up with my quite conservative Christian family, you know, heritage, I grew up sort of biased in certain thought patterns to, think one way or, or not another way. And I'm from Missouri, the show me state. And so a lot of these things, as I started to witness them, then it started to shift, you know, like what, what really are the possibilities? And I, I really love when I can find scientific, physical, you know, quantum physics, astrophysics, frequency resonance, all these things underlying the spiritual phenomena that we're observing. I really love having explanations that I can then turn around 
say this isn't magic, this isn't spirituality, it's actually just mechanics of the universe. One of the first times it just totally blew me away to see spirituality in action was we were actually, we were going to set a world record for volcano climbing. There's three big volcanoes on Bali and we're going to climb them back to back to back. And people had been going after this record for several years and sort of bringing the time down and down. But the first, we, you climb the biggest volcano, it's, it's 13,000 feet or something like that. You start at midnight and you climb that one in complete darkness and finish basically at dawn. And we showed up to the base of this mountain at midnight in the parking lot where the trailhead is. And there's nobody around. And our guides, they're a few minutes late. They show up and we go, we're all ready to start climbing this volcano. And as we go around behind, there's, there's sort of uh, this temple. As we go around behind the temple, there are, I'm going to say 10,000 Balinese people all dressed in white, religious, you know, sacred garb. And there's this one single track trail going all the way up the mountain. And there's this just chain of little lights, you know, chain of flashlights, like as far as you can see, thousands of feet up above you, there's just a single file line of people, grandmas, babies, dads hiking in flip-flops, some people hiking barefoot up this volcano. And they're carrying sacrificial things like goats and chickens. And they're going to like pitch them into the volcano and have a ceremony. And, you know, we basically just fell in line and had to climb slowly along with with all these people. So so it actually slowed us down for the first part of our record, which probably saved us energy for later. We ended up breaking the record by several hours. But the the cool thing was our guides didn't even know this was happening. This is like a super secret ceremony that 10,000 people knew about, but not the local guides. But they said, oh, this is the ceremony that's going to start rainy season. They're going to do this big offering. They're all going to pray together and they're going to start rainy season. And within... I would say four hours of them finishing the ceremony, it started raining and it rained for weeks. And I was utterly blown away that they could just use their collective consciousness to turn on the rain to such an extent. And of course, a skeptical person might say, well, it was going to just do that anyway. But it was so powerful for me to see this secret ceremony and then see the result immediately. We're finishing our record and it starts pouring. And I was like, oh my gosh, they turned on the rainy season and then it just kept raining. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And since then, I've seen over and over again, scientific evidence that proves collective focused thought leads to real world measurable results. But that was the first time I'd ever seen it, but it was real. You know, There's the rain falling on me. It's been sunny for three months and now it's rainy for three months. And they just, they just all turned it on together. It was so phenomenal. Where did you find that scientific evidence? There's a great book. There's several great books by Lynn McTaggart. The one that I just finished is called The Power of Eight. And she's been studying this stuff. She's a journalist. She's been studying it for a few decades. And yeah, just a, just a ton of evidence for things like reducing crime, for healing, the result of meditation and prayer, and just sort of measuring the exact results that are, that are coming from that. I love that. So I want to change gears a little bit here and how did you decide to stop this? Did, and maybe you haven't stopped, but the dis- digital nomad lifestyle and to come back to the States and sort of slow down a little bit. Like wh- what's that been like for you? Yeah, that's fairly new. It's it's kind of weird to not be planning the country. This will be the first year in many, many years. We've bought a house in St. Louis. And, you know, at some point when we were living in Portugal and we were going to move to Romania 
we were going to live like basically at, you know, the village where Count Dracula's castle <laughs> is. I was, I was pretty excited about that, actually. But she said, you know, I'm kind of tired of this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. And it is just such an easy decision to stay put for a while and really focus on building local community. And one thing that I really, you know, now I have two kids at one and three years old, I had such a phenomenal experience as uh, in elementary school. I had some really great friends. I went to a wonderful school and it was that, you know, I just, I just loved being a kid and growing up and there's that consistency, right? I had the same friends for a long, long time. And so I want my kids to have that opportunity as well. So what we're currently thinking is they go through full elementary school, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade all together in one place. And then, and then maybe we travel for a couple of years when they're sort of in the middle school age, which is a difficult age anyway. And then maybe we move or maybe we, maybe we come back to St. Louis and then we, and then they do high school all, all together. So they have, you know, this sort of uniform schooling experience, but, but we can build in some long-term travel there in the middle. Yeah. And I think about the experience that those kids are going to have or that they've already had in their lives and how it's really unique and different and how that might impact them later in such an amazing and positive way in terms of like confidence and like bigger picture worldview, because it's, it is hard to be in middle school and it's hard to be a teenager, especially because it's funny. I heard this somewhere where like in high school, a lot of times, unless you're like really good friends with your sibling, you actually don't really remember your sibling that much or your siblings because you're so self-centered and so self-focused. And that's just part of being a teenager. <laughs> so I wonder if that's different, you know, if you have different life experiences. Yeah, I could definitely could see, right. And traveling as a family, you have this little unit that's, you know, the world is like moving past you or you're moving through it, but together. And I also wanted to comment on my three-year-old, you know, he's been to uh, 15 countries or something. And people always comment to me like, what a mature young man. Like he's so confident. He's so, and he'll just go up to strangers and be like, hi, my name is Axel. What's your name? And stuff. When you look at other kids, his age, they're busy picking their nose or something. And you can really tell a difference. You can, and I, I trace it back to, you know, him interacting with kids that speak a bunch of different languages and nannies that read him stories in a bunch of different languages. And also, just having to adapt to, you know, like three three days of travel or all, all these random things that, that are not routine. So they're probably really challenging for him, but that was his life for the first three years. So now he's like, oh, this routine life where I have these sort of daily things that I'm doing every day make it really easy for me to, to then go and challenge myself by being outgoing or trying to learn a bunch of things or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, he's going to have a pretty interesting story <laughs> as he gets older. <laughs> Do you have any tips for traveling with kids? Because a lot of people are probably thinking, well, what about time zone changes? Or what about their routine or their schedule? And what do I do if they melt down like, or in public or in another country? Or what if they get sick? Yeah, I guess the, the overarching thing is to, that we've, we just make sure to build in more adjustment time. When normally as an adult, you might think we're going to go start traveling like the day after we arrive in a new continent, we're going to go do some stuff. And we try to build 10 to 15 days of adjustment period into big time zone shifts and just knowing like we're not going to get as much work done. We're not going to be super touristy and we're really just going to be managing our own personal energy 
And of course, there's going to be tantrums and things like that. It was very traumatic, I think, probably for everyone on this small little plane when <laughs> our kid was, he was like a year and a half and the plane was stuck on the runway and he just did not want to be seated anymore because it was hot in the plane and he was buckled in, but basically forced to be sitting down and he really wanted to just move. And he just freaked out because there was nothing we could, we couldn't let him do that. And so that, that's probably the most difficult thing was he, he didn't understand, you know, why can't you just get up and walk around? You know, we're not flying. We're not, we're not, we're just sitting here. And I think probably some other adults were thinking the same thing. Like this, <laughs> this really sucks. <laughs> you know, so that, that's like some of the low points is, is when you have a screaming kid and you just can't do anything about it. But then, you know, just, just forgiving yourself, the situation. I'm sure everyone on the plane felt some form of compassion, like, oh, man, I'm sorry for those parents. You know, and, and and then you can just, then you can get back to your life once you've sort of resettled in your new city or wherever you're going. Well, I think that we've covered a lot in this show, and there's a lot of really great takeaways that people can use starting immediately in their lives. Where can people find you if they want more Derek Loudermilk or they want coaching or they want your podcast? Yeah. So luckily, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know how to find a podcast. So whatever app you're listening to podcasts on, you can you can search my name, Derek Loudermilk, or The Art of Adventure, which is the name of the show. We've been running it for several years now. It's crazy to think. We're almost at 300 episodes. And then everything else, all the socials, my website is Derek Loudermilk. And on the Derek Loudermilk website, there's a coaching tab, and you can sort of see the different offerings and if you're someone that is a coach, you want to host retreats or you want to be an author, create online courses, a lot of these things that you can take your business anywhere in the world, that's what I specialize in. You know, I, I call it thought leaders. You might not necessarily know I'm a thought leader, but that's ultimately you know, what that is when you're, when you're helping people learn stuff and master things and teaching. So if that's you, then you can go check out the coaching section of my website as well. And um yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show and uh, letting me let me talk about my own stuff. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun when the microphone is reversed when you're used to being the interviewer and then someone's interviewing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know what you're gonna. I mean, sometimes you know what you're gonna say, but it's cool to discover your own thoughts about something. When so, yeah, great job asking all those all those questions. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Tanya. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I loved hearing his tips for traveling with kids at the end because that's something that I'm about to embark upon. It's going to be really fun. I've been learning a lot about myself in my few months of motherhood. And also, it's been fun to partner with my husband and work as a team to help start raising our little guy. Thanks for all your comments and encouragement along the way. Thanks again for listening to the show and being part of my community. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you right back here next week.